0: Hi there, I'm your host, Kieran Kortala. Welcome to Eliminate Higher Education Podcast. On this N Squared series, this week we bring a great episode featuring Rick Torres as the moderator for a panel called Imagining a Connected Smart Campus. On the Limited Higher Education Podcast, every week we ask the featured guest, what they believe as the future of higher education would be five, 10 years from now. On this panel at N Squared, which occurred in February, 2022, we asked some of the leading minds, leading some of the businesses, universities, and disruptive technologies on what they see as a way to reimagine higher education for a more affordable education for every learner, for more accessible, education for every student of every learning method, and also for any administrator and faculty to deliver learning in the best mode possible for their learners, universities, or colleges. I strongly believe that you'll enjoy this conversation. This happened on stage in Atlanta, Georgia in February 2022. Enjoy the episode.
1: Uh, Rick Torres uh, from the Clearinghouse, nice to meet you virtually. Enjoying this panel. So this is a really interesting one. We've heard a lot of good things today about a lot of the good work that's going on and the need to modernize campuses. And what we're going to be talking about today is reimagining that smart, connected campus. And uh, before we get around, that's the name of the panel. And uh, before we like to have folks reintroduce themselves briefly, and Niraju you came out. So, John, uh, I know you have not had the chance to introduce yourself, so please uh, do so.
2: Thanks. I'm John Braswell with ACR Worldwide. Our, our company provides uh, uh, payment solutions for a number of industries, in, including higher education. Um, we are a global payments company and process uh, about 125 billion consumer transactions in the U.S. each year.
1: Thank you. And then over to uh, Stacy, who also hasn't had a chance to... Introduce yourself. Hey,
3: thank you. My name is Stacey Marshall. I'm the regional vice president for Mitel with a specific focus in vertical markets. Um, again, pointed toward higher education. Mitel is a uh, development communication software company via, I should say, via um, on what we consider omnichannel, which actually includes voice, email, SMS, web chat, and AI applications.
1: Thank you. So look, over the last two years, there's been no question that one of the big evolutions that's happened is the number of touchless transactions have increased dramatically. We know this, right? Our own lives every day, you know, you've gone to Grubhub delivery and Uber Eats and they drop it off and you go pick it up, but also how you pay for things. A lot of it continues to evolve. And then you begin thinking about what should be the student faculty, administrator, parent, alumni experience with a modern campus, with a smart, connected technology enabling, underpinning. You know, and colleges and universities are beginning to evolve their own brand, and a lot of it's coming to deal with, well, you know, how, what, what's the experience that even a recruit has when they come to the campus, you know, and what, how does that shape how they think about, you know, who we are? And there's lots of examples of modernization uh, that colleges are taking. You know, the use of AI to support some typical activities and, like transcript ordering and things lo- along those lines. At the Clearinghouse, we have one interesting one because it takes time. Uh, I joined the Clearinghouse in 08, and back then about 30, well, more than that, about 45% of the transcripts were paper. Paper. Today, it's still about 5 or 6%, but it's evolved. Right now, and it's all a lot of it's most of it's electronic, but now all of a sudden, blockchain's coming in and NFT, and that becomes the bleeding edge. So, there's another transformation that's happening out there that's technical, Supposedly it's going to help the learner, you know, progress in their career, but it's an evolution. So, the first question I have, and, and, and Tim, I'm going to hit you with this first. Um, what do you see as the role? Uh, and the potential adoption curve of schools, of the latest technology like AI, QR codes, keychains, chatbots, you know, how do you see this adoption curve happening? And you can maybe talk about it from the University of Georgia perspective, but I'm sure you talk to fellow colleagues, you know, that are in the colleges, and I'm sure you've been able to glean some insights from them on that as well.
4: You know, that is a a fascinating, fascinating question. And frankly, you know, with what's going on in the world today, digital currency and digital credentials, I don't know what the hell that means in a country that doesn't have cell phone service or electricity. So, I mean, you know, the world changes in interesting ways. And, you know, the kind of question becomes, you know, how do you adopt technologies, you know, that best fit a a certain time? Um, I, I will tell you the University of Georgia, relative to other institutions tends to be a later adopter of technology. And we also tend to be an institution that focuses relentlessly on standardization and elimination of redundancy. So as we kind of entered the pandemic, we benefited enormously from the fact that we had standardized that toolkit and what was available to faculty and administrators to to have touch points with their students. And it made it in, incredibly easier to pivot and really continue our our missions during that, that, that pandemic. And that includes the standardization around a single learning management system, standardization around a single platform for synchronous and asynchronous learning, uh, a single platform for video capture and media distribution and content distribution. And, and that made it so much easier for, for our partners and the faculty to really pivot and, and keep our focus on students during the pandemic. I think you find that there's a bleeding edge among all institutions. So, you know, the CIO, my counterpart at Oral Roberts University, is really on the bleeding edge with the blockchain and credentials. And I think he's done some fairly interesting work. From the standpoint of the University of Georgia, we tend to, to be a later adopter as technologies hit, hit mainstream. Uh, frankly, that allows us as a $2 billion revenue entity to, to compete quite well with institutions that have multiples multiples of billions of revenue ahead of us. And so I, I think that uh, that slower adopter approaches, I think, serve as well.
1: Thank you very much, Tim. Uh, great, great uh, response to that. And I wanted to uh, turn it over to uh, Gabrielle. From uh, your perspective, uh, you know, coming Um, uh, with your business in mind and the kind of change you're trying to bring there, what's your view of the adoption curve for these types of technologies and some of the big obstacles that you see there?
5: Absolutely. Um, So when it comes to adopting these new technologies, I think the biggest thing is I feel people just want to create a big leap and they just want to do everything at once. And these types of implementations don't happen all at once. And it's really important that we think strategically about how we implement it, why we implement it. At Beyond Academics, we really focus on the faculty and student experience first. We really understand what's going on in their ecosystem from all perspectives. We do think space sessions. Some of you have attended our think spaces, so you know what that's all about. Um, we We really want to get an understanding of what is actually happening and then figuring out, okay, where can we make tweaks? Where can we automate? Um, because you know, not all work is designed to be automated. I mean, education especially is such a humanistic experience and without emotions involved in learning, learning does not take place because students are not numbers. Um, they are people and people do not learn when they do not feel like they are cared for, when they do, when they do not feel like they are safe, Um, You know, in my education training, about 90% of my training was all about how do you create an inclusive learning environment, because that was the number one thing. And so what automation and a lot of these smart technologies will do will actually enable people to do their jobs better. It will will enable them to be be able to serve the student on a different level, rather than if they were just doing some of these processes manually. And, um, you know students are used to these experiences right now because we have smart banking, we have smart retail, we have, you know, Amazon. I mean, Amazon is a prime example of customer service. I just had an event last week where my card was compromised and my bank was able to detect that there was, you know, a change in my activity. And I got an automated text saying, hey, did you authorize this? I said, no. Within seconds, I had a a call come in. I had a person on the phone. They got my pin reset, a card reset, the whole shebang within less than a few minutes. And I thought, wow, that's the way a student experience should be. Because automation was used where it was necessary. And then when they actually needed to have that conversation with me, someone was on the phone within, within within seconds and then resolved within minutes. And ideally, that's the kind of experience um, that's just one example, um, but that's the kind of experience that we want to create for our students.
1: All right, Gabrielle, thank you. Uh, John, over to you. So, you know, in the, in the world that you work in as well, right, there, there, there's adoption curves and people are afraid to step through. I mean, what are some of the challenges that you're facing as you uh, look to roll these products out to uh, institutions across the country?
2: Uh, well, some of the friction points are uh, some things that are known to the schools and some things that uh, they don't know, how to incorporate a 21st century payment system into um, into SIS systems that they've had for decades, right? So a uh, payments uh, uh, infrastructure should be just what she said, so we, you know, ACI has fraud prevention tools that we roll out to many of the banks in the U.S. and around the world that provide those types of frictionless services to their consumers, right? And so. Um, as we roll out um, what well, we have available now, uh, alternative payment methods um, like PayPal, Venmo, Zelle, we want to meet those payers, uh, which include students, parents, visitors to campus, um, digital payers, conference attendees, uh, meet them where they are in an omnichannel experience, right? Um, text to pay uh, via SMS, via mobile uh, connected uh, wallets, uh, things like that. So. Um, you know, we're rolling out later this year uh, digital currency, right, and so as part of the uh, integrated treasury management product that we provide, we can bundle all of those deposits from Venmo, Zelle, cash payments, uh, the traditional card, debit, credit, ACH, but also PayPal, international PayPal, and digital currencies later this year into one lump sum deposit, which makes it easy for the schools to reconcile and very seamless on the front end.
1: Well. I- that's good innovation. So uh, I'll be interested to hear about the uptake of that as we go along. And uh, let's go over to Naraj. Uh, same question, right? From your perspective, uh, as you're trying to roll out things, you know, what are the things that you're hearing from institutions and, and around some of the obstacles uh, that, they're, you know, that they need to overcome to try to then gain momentum in this area?
6: Sure, universities need to be unshackled from their own histories. They're in a position where oftentimes they think of a certain service as being a a way that has been for the last 10, 15, 20 years, yet at the same time the events of the last two years have allowed them a chance to reimagine what should be the case. And oftentimes these revolutions aren't even revolutions at all. They're evolutions or things that are already taking place in consumers' lives, and we're now applying them to a higher educational context. And so to me, the thing that actually has been the biggest impediment, in, I think, historically in terms of the adoption of these new technologies is oftentimes, frankly, in, in many ways, having conversations with people who are themselves shackled by the histories that they have assumed over the years. Interesting. Well, that, you
1: know, and I think that's absolutely, you see that everywhere, right? Yeah. But, you know, there's always this, this really interesting conversation about willingness and ability to make a change, right? And sometimes, you know, you may not, you may be willing, but not have the technical capability to go do it. And that's something I was alluding to earlier when I was talking about you know, some of the needs of colleges. But sometimes it's a, it, you have the will, or you don't, may not have the will, but you're fully capable, right? And, and it's how do you break that cycle? And I think that's what you're yeah. uh, referring to there, terrific. Uh, Stacy, over to you.
3: Sure, so I agree. All students are not in the same place in their journey. And they're certainly not all equal. So I think some of the challenges that universities have to face and maybe define is how do we provide a tool for automation, self-service, and communication that enhances the student engagement with, with, to them along their journey? So we have some applications where, in fact, it may be all self-service. We may decide to, through an initial virtual tour, or investigation of a campus environment. Maybe we wanna make sure that we have a web chat that goes along with that, because we wanna be able to capture that individual. It may not be someone going from high school directly into university. It may be someone um, who's in the 24 you know, year range or, or, or has you know decided to make a career path change. And we need to make sure that everybody along that spectrum is comfortable with the communication solution that we wanna thread through all of our applications.
1: Thank you. So um, let's keep evolving this now and let's talk about how the pandemic has played a role in the thinking in higher education about what to evolve now or what are the most emergent things to evolve now uh, versus other areas. So, for example, one of the things that we came across during the pandemic was that schools did not have a business continuity plan. (laughs) Right, everything was done in the office, and it was a mess both at the, not only the post-secondary level, but frankly at the high school level, where there was just no post-secondary plan. So in listening to the conversations today, I'd like you to think about in this next uh, comment, almost separating out learning, because learning certainly went through some evolution, some were successful and some weren't, and learning support, but then administrative services. Right, because that's another evolution, right? That's what, you know, I mean, you, what, did, what did schools experience during the pandemic in, as it related to learning and then student services and what kind of questions is it raising for the campus on the need for offices and the need for touch points, right, when you start looking at the world of the student from those two lenses, learning and learning support and administrative services. And Tim, I'm gonna start with you on this one.
4: You know, I think I would frame my experience at the University of Georgia this way. I think, again, because we had been on an eight-year standardization route, we were in a very good position. And and frankly, from a faculty standpoint and from a staff standpoint, the pandemic, I really truly believe, was our finest moment in terms of adapting and and overcoming. And I think we did learn that because of the good blocking and tackling we had done with services, we could deliver everything. Uh, There were some... There were some moments that were uh, worrisome, you know, running class registration a month late because of the pandemic and not knowing students will really come. I mean, there were there were some key moments like that. But I think we learned that we could do everything online and a great many more things we could do asynchronously. But we also learned just because we can doesn't mean we should. And I, and I think the pandemic more than anything else, and I'm talking primarily at the undergraduate level, that level of you know, students where students are maturing from being you know, young adults into being productive adults, there is a, a type of capital that we impart to students that is almost impossible to do online. And that is social capital. The ability to, to not only have a network of relationships that one can call on for friendships and for mentoring and for support, but also being able to develop and maintain those relationships and enhance them and grow them over time, frankly, is a face-to-face encounter. So part of when we moved into the fall of 2020 into the spring of 2001, you know, universities in many parts took hits for being perhaps too aggressive at coming out of the pandemic into into hybrid modes or into socially distanced face-to-face modes. And a lot of criticism out there in the social media and, and, and in different spheres for that. But we felt that was important because what we learned in that fully online half semester in the spring of 2020 is that we really didn't do a great job helping students develop and maintain and augment their capital through their social relationships and that that isn't largely a a face-to-face thing so what does that mean from a practical day-to-day operations standpoint the university of georgia is investing heavily in academic advisors again could we scale the academic advising experience with zoom and could we could we increase the throughput of advisor appointments by another 15 or 20% a day through the use of these technologies, much as you see with telemedicine and a doctor schedule? Absolutely. But is that detrimental to our students and their ability to develop a long-term lasting relationship with their advisor that helps them make the right kind of good choices for them and their career aspirations? Absolutely not. It actually inhibits that. So we're actually investing more in things that could be automated and could be delivered technology because we have, we have determined and found through the pandemic how just how important those social relationships are and social capital is and how critical face-to-face interactions are to all of that. Well,
1: Tim, for thanks, that, for that, thanks, thanks for that response. And I just have to turn it over to Gabrielle after that to talk about that support system and your views of the academic impact of the pandemic on learning.
5: So I feel like the pandemic exposed a lot of the vulnerabilities in our system that was already there. You know, we had even before the pandemic we'd have students who weren't able to come to class due to a physical, you know, disability or students who weren't able to participate in, you know, like a, a regular class where it's just a lecture hall or hey, you know what, there's no elevator here, so you know, the student can't walk up you know X amount of stairs. So we've in we already have, have had a lot of issues with just accessing courses. Um, so, in a, in in a sense, I feel like the actual implementation, the move towards hybrid, the move towards online, has actually enabled um, education for even more people, especially you know working working parents and um, you know students that have a a work schedule that they need to accommodate. Um, so, the tr- so-called traditional student. Um, Is actually becoming more of the non traditional student because when I was in school, I was in school full time and I worked on the side and I was able to attend classes during the day, and that was a great luxury looking back at it because a lot of people are not able to do that. And so I think um, moving forward, I think we're, we will have a more inclusive um, higher ed ecosystem. And you know, I think the, the pandemic has also. Made people question: Do I really need to be in a physical office? I mean, it's kind of the same question before, where, hey, is this um, automation necessary or is it not necessary? And the same goes for physical campuses as well. Sure, certain people may need to be there, um, especially roles that are more forward-facing. Uh, however, I think people that are, you know, are running more of those back systems or if they're just taking incoming calls, you know, I think colleges and universities need to rethink um, how they're using their resources and one of our clients currently they are downsizing to you know smaller smaller buildings and so we're helping them optimize how they think about using their space and something that we're actually working on is something called neighborhoods where students will have access to multiple departments like admissions and financial aid and um Advising all in all in one one space. At my university, I went to a CU Boulder, and I had to walk all across creation to get to the other side of campus. It didn't matter if it was uh, really hot or snowing everywhere on the ground, and you know it was just really an, an inconvenience. And I think now, I mean, I can sit at home and return something from Amazon like this in a heartbeat, right? I just have to drive it over to Kohl's, and and off I go. And so I think students are really going to expect that. Um, and the pandemic yeah. has really shifted everything. Uh, there's no going back, just like the keynote topic yeah. was today with uh, the with cats. So that's all, all right. I have to say. Well, thank you.
1: Cats. You know, I think uh, you know, I want to hit on a point here that's really important about some students require high touch. And whether that can actually evolve to an online environment, it's a real question. So I've, done a, I've, I've talked to a lot of folks that work with veterans, for example and they need a lot of high touch on campus the student veterans of america you know they, have, they they do a lot of work on campus can that ever become you know i see tim nodding his head there i mean it really becomes an interesting question just because you can should you now one of the areas that's obvious john is the payments area and if you look at the bursar's office and the cashier's office and you know a lot of things i'm sure changed because of the pandemic probably working in your favor, like, okay, one-stop shops. I mean, how do I get all the student payments sort of concentrated? Can you give me a sense of how the pandemic impacted payments and whether or not schools are saying we need a, we need a better mousetrap? I mean, are they reacting to this? Because the bursar's office wasn't open, the cashier's office wasn't open, the bookstore wasn't open, and all of a sudden, you know, they had to figure out how to process these payments.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I'm going to go back to to your earlier statement, um, you know, even though we can, should we, right? Or should the should school go completely? I think the hybrid model is the answer. And I think there's a, a generational difference here because a lot of people like to get out and and, and, and be in front of people, right? And so I think uh, our company had 33 offices worldwide at the beginning of the pan, and pandemic. And we now have, I think, 13 offices worldwide. We closed 20 offices worldwide due to the pandemic. So. I think that um, I think it's also exposed um, something that uh, that we need—that human interaction. I think the pandemic has accelerated um, the um, the um, the exclusiveness of people. They're 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 inward looking. They they weren't socially interacting, and I think that's very healthy for people to to get out and have that social interaction. As far, as far as payments go, our research shows that you know. 47% of everybody, uh, all kids under 27 want to have a, contact, a contactless payment solution, right? So you know, if you are going to have payments in person, you are, athletic events, things like that, they need to be able to tap that payment with a connected wallet. So from a payments perspective, obviously we, we can provide everything uh, omnichannel right. online, online, but, but I think that some people, veterans, myself uh, as a veteran, high touch, they want to get in and interact with somebody in person.
1: Thank you for that. So now we'll go over to uh, Stacy. Your thoughts on the subject?
3: Yes, being in communications 27 plus years, we've had customers, I have customers that started or or had this origin when the pandemic hit and they were all at different areas. We had some universities and K through 12 that were not impacted at all because they already had a unified communication platform um, and others were, were in different places along that journey. But I think the one thing that got put upon the education market, which was maybe completely outside of our purview prior to the pandemic, was being able to communicate with the community and cut through the noise. There were so many pivots early on at the pandemic. Office of Pupil Transportation? How do students get to, to school? Um, where are they physically living if they're not on campus? How do they get this information? And, and how can we deliver it proactively? Because they're not always gonna come to the website at the right appropriate time. So I think it's really incumbent now upon the education market, upon, upon educators, upon universities, and particularly K through 12, because parents were also working from home. Students were working from home, so how do we juggle all of the cacophony uh, coming at us at that same time? And, and I think that's still actually an equation that hasn't yet um, completely evolved.
1: Thank you for that, Stacy and Niraj. You get the uh, you know the prize of bringing us home in this half-hour uh, you know panel, which uh, has been terrific. So your final thoughts on the subject here?
6: Sure. I, I guess I won't share some thoughts as much as share a story. Okay. So uh, I think like many of the people on the stage, when March 2020 happened, um, obviously all of our lives and our businesses were obviously changed and probably indelibly forever. Um, And for my business, we operate 150 college bookstores, but we don't have any physical bookstores, it's all online. Um, This whole question of physical interaction was something that had not really received a lot of attention uh, prior to that moment, particularly from Uh, a number of people in higher education and administrators. And and when it did happen, for the first month or two, um, I think they were very focused, appropriately so, on how do we keep our educational systems running? like How do we deliver education online? And that was what they should be doing. That's their function and their mission of the institution. But then, as we started to wind our way till May and June of 2020, we started to receive these calls, not just one or two, but dozens of calls from institutions that had to ask some very basic and fundamental questions, which is, how do we continue to operate when people aren't physically on campus, when our own staff are nervous about coming into campus and no, desiring the touch the systems? Um, and the reality is is that, um, I think, going back to my other comments, it, it, it helped to unshackle their own views relative to what these services should be. It allowed them a chance to reimagine and as that has now gone from just a few months to now two years, I really do have hope and optimism that that unshackling, that openness to sort of new ideas and new thinking, it's not something that will be just a fleeting memory, but rather something that stays, stays with this whole community for years. I think it will, and I think it's gonna be something that has provided a catalyst for positive change, and, um, I think the higher education system is actually better for it.
1: Looking back. Thank you for your comments, and I want to thank all the panelists for their thoughts and their comments. Tim, thank you so much uh, for your comments as well. Um, you know, this has been a uh, very interesting two years, right? And I, you know, as uh, and I think the way I talk to people about it when I'm presenting to large groups is you know, the tale, and spelling it two ways, T-A-L-E and T-A-I-L of this pandemic is still being written, right? And there's still a lot we don't know. Uh, and, you know, and I think part of this is gonna be this journey, right? To a more connected campus and how we get smarter about how we work with students of all ages. And uh, so I wanna thank you for your thoughts and uh, for your contributions to this panel. Thank you very much.
4: Everything is a service, whether it's finding ways to help students reach their goals within higher education, sharing medical records to patients quickly and securely, informing residential customers of an impending outage, or communicating with remote satellites thousands of miles apart, all of it requires data, integration, and communication. At in in we provide services that make all of these possibilities realities. And we make it faster, simpler, secure, and easier. Because we believe everything is a service, and bringing everything together is how we can help you innovate and change the world.